This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. On this episode of the podcast, we are taking a little bit of a turn, a fun turn, a welcome turn within the Cast One series. And the Cast One series of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast is all about getting back to the fundamentals. This is beneficial if you are curious about fly fishing, if you are a new fly fisher, or if you are simply wanting to find the words and the concepts that are helpful as you articulate the basics of fly fishing to someone that you are talking to. And this week, again, we are moving in a different direction within this inaugural chunk of episodes, and we're talking about warm water fly fishing. Now, we've gone through how fly fishing works, the rod, reel, the line, all the other gear, how to read water, how to find trout, how to make presentations and make your cast, and the seasonality of fly fishing for trout. But today we're moving in a little bit of a different direction because it's been almost exclusively trout-focused for the first six episodes of this series. Today we're talking about warm water fly fishing. Now, something that I have encountered countless times, uh, enough for me to authoritatively say that there are a lot of people who don't realize that you can fly fish for other species besides trout. Now, if you've been fly fishing for a long time, or if you just dabble in the fly fishing community, if you have social media connections and fly fishing, you understand that fly fishing can be done from everything from the smallest minnows up to the largest fish that swim in the ocean that you can legally pursue, of course. But this is not necessarily something that people think about. I mean, it is not that uncommon for people to think that you have to use bait for catfish, that you have to have a shiny boat to go after bass, and that you need to use a fly rod to chase trout. And that those 
those categories don't necessarily overlap with one another. Um, and, and that's just simply not true. But there's nothing wrong with not knowing that. That's why we're getting into the, this topic. That's why we are having a conversation about kind of the introductory matters of fly fishing. Now, why warm water fly fishing? Well, first of all, let's define what we mean when we say warm water fly fishing. It is essentially in distinction to cold water fly fishing. Does that mean that bass don't live in cold water? No, they do. Does that mean that trout don't sometimes uh, find themselves in warm water? Sometimes, sometimes they do. But generally speaking, well, it, it's true to say that trout require cold water, sustained cold and highly oxygenated water, and those things kind of go together to not just survive, but thrive. Um, and so we think about the cold flowing water we talked about in the last few episodes that we're going to target for finding fish or cold still water that is uh, has thermal refuge for those fish. And that is when, when we talk about cold water, we're usually talking about trout. Um, now, again, you think about species like muskie and walleye and pike and other species that live in like northern climes. Uh, they're going to be living in relatively cold water throughout the majority of the year, but their tolerances uh, are, are not as, as high as, as trout, generally speaking. When we talk about warm water, we're talking about fish that can tolerate higher temperatures. Does that mean that they are going to you know, love living in two-inch deep stagnant ponds in the summertime? No, but they're going to tolerate warmer water. And again, this is one of those uh, general but mostly artificial uh, distinctions that we draw between cold water fish, such as trout, and warm water fish, such as sunfish species, panfish species, I should say, uh, which include sunfish and bluegill and bass. Of course, there's other fish that you can pursue too, and the diversity within bass, I mean, between smallmouth and largemouth is enormous. But today, I really wanted to kind of drill down into the most accessible species that we have, no matter where you live in the United States, when it comes to warm water fish, and that is panfish and bass. Now, why would you even want to do this? Why, why would you want to pursue something as, as you know, that has the childlike connotations of a bluegill with a fly rod? I, I, I'm here to tell you it's because it's absolutely a thrill. It's a lot of fun. And in some ways, I would say in many ways, I enjoy chasing panfish with a fly rod significantly more than I do with conventional gear. And that's for a number of reasons, of which we'll get into. But today I'm, I'm going to talk more about just a general overview of how you fly fish for warm water species. Now, let me give a little bit of an anecdotal uh, moment uh, regarding warm water fishing. So I, I don't think I've ever been a trout purist. I've never been the person who says, I'm only going to fish for trout. I'm only going to fish for them in this particular way. But there have been seasons in my life when I've been very singularly focused on kind of cracking certain fly fishing codes. I remember one season I was living in Pennsylvania and I lived on the, the, the banks of a very, very well-known, very popular and very hard to fish spring creek. And I spent every fishable hour on that water watching fish sneaking around, trying to dissect and read the water and really get into a good rhythm of catching fish. And it was a lot of fun. I absolutely love it. I look back at one of the, my favorite fishing seasons of, of my life. At the same time, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was an older angler, and he was just as rabid about fly fishing and fly fishing for trout and fly fishing for difficult trout as I was. And one of the things he said to me was, you know, have you thought about catching some bluegill? And I thought, why would I spend time catching 
bluegill. He said, listen, I have a buddy just bought a farm. There's a pond on it. He says it's thick with them, but it's going to get all weed choked here in the coming weeks as the as things get warmer. Why don't you head out there and, and see if you can just kind of take, take a, a break and a breather? And so I kind of reluctantly threw the appropriate gear, which we'll touch on here in a second, in the back of my car. And I went to this this pond and it had a little dock and there was nothing behind the dock. There's no bushes or trees. I just walked out there and I started casting and I caught a bluegill on a little popper, a little, a little surface fly that kind of replicates a struggling bug or maybe even a tiny frog or a dying minnow. And, and I caught another one another one. And this is something I'd done countless times. Uh, you know, I, 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 there was times in my teenage years where I did this a lot more than I caught trout. And it just reminded me that this is an absolute blast. This is so much fun. And it's just a different kind of pace, a different kind of tempo. Um, it's, it's the difference between, um, you know, uh, uh, running, running to train for a race and running just to get fresh air. I mean, there's, there's a, the same activity, but they're done in a little bit of a different way, in a different approach. And so that's one of the main reasons why I enjoy fishing for panfish, especially in, in seasons where I'm fishing for trout quite a bit. But as I fish more with my kids, I found that it is a great way not only to have a break from fishing for trout and kind of some, some of the ways that your brain and your body has to adjust for that, but it's also, one, a way to refine your skills and train people up in the skills that you need to fish for trout. And it's also a great way to get people on fish. There's times and places where trout can be so persnickety that it isn't necessarily the best and most rewarding way to bring people up into fly fishing. So again, with this series of podcasts talking about fly fishing for new anglers, I'll hear, I'm here to tell you, go out and try to fish for trout as much as you want to as, as with the, the determination and the stick to that you have. But if you want to have some kind of instantaneous reward, then there's a very good chance that with very few modifications to your gear, you can go to your local pond or your local creek, and you can use those same skills, reading the water, making that presentation, that fly cast, and probably be rewarded much quicker with some fish. And this is actually something that I have, I've learned more, more recently, actually, that um, when it comes to some of these skills that I want to hone, I'm not having as many opportunities, for example, to practice my hook set on trout because I'm not seeing as many trout rising as I am seeing bluegill and sunfish rise to little dry flies. And so to go out to a stream with a rod that maybe I'm struggling with trying to, to set the hook at 40 feet. I know that sounds like a very specific problem to solve, but it was a problem that I had a couple of seasons ago. There was one rod that for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the tip of this, this rod. I don't know if I was just in a slump. I don't know if that line had a certain amount of elasticity. I was having a difficult time setting the hook on trout at distance. And so I went to a pond, I put a little, the same dry fly on, used the same rod and reel, and I cast that line out and I waited for bluegill to start rising and I was missing them right away. But enough of them were happening where I was able to kind of quickly think and diagnose what was happening. And so I use that anecdote, an another one, to to illustrate that, yes, there's a lot of fun of fishing for blue bluegill and, and sunfish and, and bass, but that also can be used to hone your skills that you can use in situations that may be more technically demanding. It's a both and kind of situation. So it's a perfectly fine uh, end in its own right, but it also can be the means to an end. It's a, it's a both and. So warm water fish, and again, in this narrow warm water category of panfish, which includes sunfish and bluegill and all the permutations thereof, you know, that could be um, 
rock bass and uh you know pumpkin seed and and warmouth and uh all these other critters i mean you can kind of throw crappie in there but they're, they're not necessarily in that, that same category their behavior and way the way they act is significantly different than those other sunfish species uh, panfish species and then bass both both largemouth and smallmouth although they act very different of course there's some other species you can throw in there as well so what do you need to fish for these? Kind of going through the same pace as we went through in this series as talking about trout. Uh, what do you need to fish for these these fish? Well, when it comes to panfish, you can use your trout gear. You can use that two weight, that three weight, that four weight, that five weight, that six weight, and they're all going to perform in an excellent manner. Uh, six weight is not going to be overkill on panfish. And for the particular reason that there are a lot of flies that you're going to cast that require a fly rod that has a little bit more of a backbone. Um, the flies might not be large, but they might be air resistant. And they're air resistant because they're designed to be water resistant. You think about a lot of the flies that you use, or excuse me, a lot of the lures that you use, if you've ever gone fishing for bluegill or bass. They're flies that skitter on the surface. They're flies that displace water to create vibrations, to create uh, um, a, a disturbance. And so to have a fly that effectively recreates that same disturbance of the surface or underneath the surface or some sort of rattling or something like that, then it's going to have a lot of resistance as you cast it. And so even though if it's essentially weightless because it's made of very, very light materials, cork, feathers, fur, rubber, etc., it's going to have wind resistance. So you need a rod that can cast that fly easily because you're going to have more fun if you can cast that fly in, in a very simple way. So that is the, the primary reason where, why I say that, you know, a four weight, five weight and six weight is certainly not overkill when you're fishing for panfish. Now you're actually going to get into the situation where for some of the larger bass flies, then your trout gear might not be sturdy enough to throw those, those flies, um, where you actually need that stout six weight or a seven weight, or even an eight weight to throw some of these larger flies. So you, if, if you really get into fly fishing for warm water fish, and you, you really want to pursue larger bass, whether it be smallmouth or largemouth, you are going to probably need a heavier rod that has a heavier line that can handle not only heavier flies, but more wind resistant flies that are essentially the same size as those giant crankbaits and spinnerbaits and rubber worms and hula poppers and other sorts of uh, uh, not name brand uh, lures that you see on the, the wall at Bass Pro Shop or in your grandpa's tackle box or in your own tackle box. You have to think you're going to be casting that same size, albeit lighter version of fly to those lures uh, with, with that fly rod. But that's a little bit of a, a, a diversion away from the, 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 main, the main thing here, which is that if you are simply trying to go out and pursue these fish, you can probably get away with chasing many numbers of their members with the same gear that you have already procured for trout. Um, and you're going to have a blast doing it. So um, that's the that's the first thing. Know that your core terminal tackle is probably going to be the same. Now I mentioned tippet and how important leader and tippet is when you are choosing um, your, your terminal gear to fish for for trout. It is still important for fishing for bass. You want that tapered leader, but you don't need as much finesse when you're casting lure flies that are going to be pulled through the water or pulled on top of the water. Now there are 
plenty of people, and myself included, who fish trout tactics, especially for smallmouth bass or river panfish. But generally speaking, if you're on that pond or you're on that creek, you're going to be fishing in a way that you're attracting those fish to come in. So you are pulling a popper across the surface, maybe you're skittering like a dragonfly imitation, or you're pulling a streamer, effectively replicating a bait fish or a leech or something like that as you are fishing in that stream. And so there you may even be able to get away with a level leader. A level leader is a, a consistent uh, length of line. And for a long time, and, and I don't really necessarily do this anymore, but for a long time, I carried a spool of you know, like Berkeley Trilene or, or, or whatever um, the, the, the brand of choice was back then of conventional uh, leader material or, or line, monofilament line for a spinning rod. I carried that in my pocket and I would, you know, tie a new length on and adjust it as necessary because it was more economical than carrying a little spool of fly fishing specific leader material. Um, today, I've, I've, I've definitely gone to making leaders that do have a little bit of nuance because I know that uh, more wind resistant flies can benefit from a, a, a little bit of a taper in the, in the leader. The same thing with, um, with, with nymphs that you fish for, for smallmouth and things like that. Um, but there's really a nice, easy entry point when fishing for warm water species because you don't need to have a complicated leader system. You can go right from your line to a straight length of monofilament that can be six, seven, or eight feet long, and then you can tie right onto your fly. Um, it, it's going to work great. It's not going to be the absolute best, but it is going to work great, and it's maybe one less variable that you need as you're thinking about other things um, when, when you're fishing. And this is particularly true if you're fishing a much heavier fly, whether it be a weighted streamer or a popper. Um, if you get to smaller flies that don't have a lot of weight, that's when you're definitely going to want to switch to a tapered leader because you're going to want that energy transfer to effectively move towards your fly and down that, uh, that, that more narrow diameter of that leader. It does make a difference. I mean, it, it does effectively make a difference um, when you're fishing very, very light flies. And even though the, the panfish might not care, you're also going to want to make sure that you're working on your cast and your presentation at the same time, uh, whether it be just to fish for panfish better, or if you want those skills to translate over into, into trout fishing. So that's the, that's the first thing. You can probably get away with the majority of the gear you have. The flies, of course, are going to be different. Um, you are going to want to find, you know, poppers are just so much fun to fish um, and maybe bigger streamers. But there's a very good chance that a lot of the streamers that you fish for trout are going to fish well for panfish and they're going to fish well for small bass. Um, dry flies are going to work well. Big, gaudy dry flies are some of my absolute favorite flies to fish for panfish, whether it be um, humpy or royal coachman or stimulator or even just uh, the, the terrestrial insects that we talked about in last week's episode. I was talking about summer. So crickets, grasshoppers, ants, a big foam grasshopper, um, maybe not as long as the uh, trout grasshoppers, maybe a little bit shorter. So you might see when you buy trout grasshoppers that are made with foam bodies, they can be long. They're tied on like 4x long hook shanks, um, maybe a little bit shorter for, for panfish um, because you, you increase your odds of hooking up on these small mouthed fish if you have a smaller bodied fly. But a foam fly is a wonderful way, again, to eliminate the very 
variables. You're not worrying about having to apply floatant. You're not worrying about not seeing this thing after you fish with it for a while. And you're not really even worried about it getting chewed up because it's getting nailed by any fish that even wants to try to get this thing in your its mouth. You're fishing with a fly that's going to be easy to see. But again, this is going to be a fly that's going to have a little bit more wind resistance, ergo being, you know, okay casting with that heavier rod. So these flies that may be in your trout box already are going to be exceptional. And I would say too, one of the most effective ways to fish for warm water species and, and to really target the entire spectrum where you can be fishing for large bass, but also catch uh, smaller panfish is to fish something like that larger um, uh, grasshopper uh, or maybe a popper and then trail off of it. So you tie a bit of leader material on the hook of that first fly and, and then maybe a foot or two feet later, you have a small nymph, the exact same nymphs you would use for trout. I personally like to use things that are a little bit more gaudy. Maybe they have bright red uh, wire. Maybe they have some rubber legs. Maybe they have a little bit of a, um, you know, a puff of, of marabou or something like that uh, to give it a little bit of motion and have that thing trailing off the end of it. And so a fish might be a little bit reticent to go up and attack that big splashy fly that's on the surface, but they're more than fine with seeing this little thing trailing it and going after it and it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be uh you know you're, you're still getting after fish that way so you can use the same rod reel line leader you can use a lot of times the same flies maybe with a few modifications to to really take advantage of some of the uh more aggressive dispositions of these warm water species but then the other benefit is um you you can do it everywhere i mean there are most likely uh, going to be bass and uh, panfish everywhere. Uh, everywhere I've fished in the country, I've I've been able to find these fish uh, at uh, park ponds, at state parks, at uh, golf courses. If you're either sneaky or have permission or or both, um, you know th these fish are going to be accessible. You're going to be able to find them in super large water bodies, and you're going to find them in really tiny water bodies. Um, and one of my favorite things to do uh, in in Virginia in some of these developments was fish uh, drainage ditches because these fish would would um, be in the big ponds, but they'd be incredibly pressured in these big ponds or the big ponds had no access because they were in everyone's backyards. But there was ditches that ran from pond to pond and they were very, very small. You could hop across them, but they were very large bass and very large panfish that were, were in these ditches. You don't really need much else specialized gear. Of course, there's lots of things that you can buy, and some of them are very, very helpful, but not a lot are necessary. In fact, a lot of the folks that I have taken fishing for bass and for panfish, we have just used their trout gear, and you can get away with it, and you can get away with it and have a great time. And so um, one one quick word, the seasonality of these fish is obviously a little bit more strict than with trout. Last week, we talked about how fly fishing for trout really can be a four season endeavor um, if you have the right kind of water. Um, fishing for bass and panfish is a four season endeavor as well, but you'll probably need an ice auger for uh, the majority of the winter to do this. But um, there is a very predictable season for uh, for bass and for, for panfish, and that usually involves a spring pre-spawn where they, they ramp up their being aggressive and they really start to put on weight because of the spawn activity. The season of the spawn, which again, there is a very, uh, you know, different ethic uh, approaches to fishing this time of year and the post-spawn where they begin to disperse um, and prepare 
basically for their summer and their early fall. Now some panfish will have a second spawn in the fall, uh, late summer and early fall, and uh, you can you can target them in, the, in this time as well. Uh, but again, when you think of fishing for panfish and when you think of fishing for bass, I mean, the, the perfect image is out on a canoe on a, on a starting to cool off summer evening casting to lily pads and casting to the shoreline and just kind of randomly casting and waiting to see what's going to come up and hit that little um, cork looking frog that you have at the end of your fly line. It's a very simple way to fish. And like I said, you can use it to train yourself in certain skills, casting, reading water, presentation, mending, hook setting, all of those things. But it can also be a very satisfying uh, end to itself, and I would encourage you to see it as a as a both and that those skills will transfer. But there's a lot of joy in just fishing for panfish and for bass it themselves. Uh, the recommendation I'm going to throw out here at the end of the podcast is actually going to touch on uh, one of my favorite resources for having uh, uh, panfish as an end to themselves. But uh, I, I know this is a very broad overview. And again, this is something that we might go into in more detail at a future Cast One podcast, because like I said, I do plan on continuing this series even after we're done with this in inaugural chunk of uh, podcasts. So again, if you have any specific questions as we're getting into the season about this, first of all, you can go to castingacross.com, tons of articles in warm water uh, fly fishing. Uh, but you can always shoot me a message matthew at castingacross.com would love to hear from you and talk about uh you know whatever questions that you may have about this kind of fishing this week on castingacross.com two really cool things right first one is called why fly fishing means something so every once in a while i get a little bit more transparent than than i do on, on normal times and uh, I, I write about things that are very much on my heart and why fly fishing means something is is an example of that um, and it, it talks about how fly fishing is not my top priority. Um, fly fishing is not what I live for. Um, but what I live for makes fly fishing matter. It makes fly fishing mean something. So without going into too much detail, I would just encourage you to check that out. Wednesday, I post a link, both a YouTube link, so you can see my face if you're curious at, at all what I look like when I talk, um, to the very same microphone I'm talking on right now, for, in fact. Um, I post a YouTube video and a link to the podcast of uh, my appearance on Untangled uh, Podcast through Ventures Fly Company and Spencer Durant. So we talk about a number of things, it's like a 45-50 minute podcast. We talk primarily about um, teaching fly fishing and learning as you teach fly fishing. And again, this is something that's not just for the formal education not just for the vocational fly fishing teacher, uh, but it's for anybody who is just kind of bringing somebody alongside them as they as they fly fish. So really good podcast, had a lot of fun doing it. Um, for me, it's it's fun to answer questions um, since I'm usually kind of asking my own questions that I'm answering. So uh, definitely check that one out, both on your podcast um, or, or um, uh, your, your YouTube feed. This week's recommendation on the podcast, again, goes back to what I was saying before, uh, seeing uh, fly fishing for panfish and bass as an end to itself. And it is the phenomenal website by a, a great angler and fly tire um, and a good guy, uh, Bart Lombardo's Panfish on the Fly. So I'll put a link to Panfish on the Flies, uh, the website, um, over uh, the show notes for this page of castingacross.com. Uh, but you can definitely find Bart and Panfish on the Fly on social media, on YouTube. Um, and uh, you, if you're going to any of the fly fishing shows on the East Coast, he's there and he will gladly show you you know, what he ties uh, for Panfish. But um, he, he, we, we are like-minded in the sense that he appreciates the minutiae 
of uh, of niche aspects of fly fishing, and uh, some of his patterns are just spectacular. His triangle bug is a fly that you need to be uh, tying if you tie flies. It's very simple, and it has been designed in, in such a way to be a very fast tie, a very effective and efficient uh, tie as well for not only panfish, but a number of other species. But anyway, I'm, I'm talking at length about something that you can go and read about and see uh, from the horse's mouth uh, over at Panfish on the Fly. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.